morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Deptula, Dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies, and welcome to our Space Power Forum. Uh, we're really pleased that General Lieutenant General J.T. Thompson uh, could join us today. As most of you know, General Thompson is the commander, U.S. Space Forces Space and Missile Systems Center, based out of Los Angeles Air Force Base. As a program executive officer for space, General Thompson manages the research, design, development, acquisition, and sustainment of satellites and their associated command and control systems. Prior to his current role, General Thompson was the commander Air Force Life Cycle Management Center at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So welcome JT and thanks very much for making the time to join us today. Um, what I'd like to do is start off by giving you an opportunity to make a couple of opening remarks on the stand-up of the new Space Systems Command, as well as your other top priorities and the critical challenges that your team is facing. So with that, over to you. Hey, uh, uh, thanks so much, Dave, uh, for that very nice introduction. And uh, thanks as always to the whole uh, Mitchell Institute team for the opportunity to speak to this audience today. I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've been able to do this while I've been in this job. Uh, and it's always great to not just interact with you and your team, but also with uh, um, all of the audience members, no matter whether it's in person or, uh, or virtual. Uh, also kind of a shout out uh, to uh, Camilla Gunzinger and uh, Lucas Ottenried uh, from your team for setting up the event and kind of orchestrating all the stuff that goes on in the background. Um, today, I'm gonna do something a little bit different than I've done in, in past, uh, uh, times where I participate in this event. Uh, I'm just going to have some very brief comments, Dave, and then uh, I, I really want to get to uh, some Q&A, um, and I'm looking forward to discussing some of that stuff with you uh, that you and I have kind of previously laid the foundation for, and then uh, get to some audience uh, questions as well. Um, but um, in terms of just a quick update uh, about what's going on in the Space and Missile Systems Center world, I, it's really hard for me to believe that it's already May. And so we're coming up on being, you know, halfway through calendar year 2021. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful to all of our partners, uh, many of whom are represented in the audience, I'm sure, uh, who've worked with SMC over the past year and a half uh, uh, to persevere throughout the COVID-19 crisis, uh, really helping us continue our mission of providing unparalleled space capabilities to joint warfighters and allies. Um, despite the challenges of the ongoing pandemic, uh, we really had an incredibly successful 2020. Uh, we launched uh, seven different national security space uh, uh, launches uh, and one small launch. Uh, we got uh, AEHF-6, uh, Advanced Extremely High Frequency uh, uh, 6 uh, uh, satellite into orbit. It's now completed the AEHF uh, constellation and been operationally accepted by the user. Um, we added two more uh, uh, space vehicles, GPS-3 satellites to the PNT constellation. Uh, we launched uh, with uh, our mission partner, the DAF-RCO, the uh, X-37B space plane uh, back into orbit. Uh, we didn't stop there with kind of routine uh, uh, launching and fielding kind of operations though. We we, re we did outreach via new events like uh, the Hackasat satellite competition, uh, where we were able to develop some new relations uh, with the public, the, the public cybersecurity community. Uh, we really helped strengthen and uh, uh, make more resilient our uh, networks and weapon systems. So that outreach was really incredible uh, and the pandemic did not deter that. Uh, we were able to award the National Security Space Launch Phase Two contract on time with no uh, protests to ensure the next five years to assured access to space. And while I'm talking about that source selection, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other ones, uh, uh, Protected Tactical SATCOM, Evolved Strategic SATCOM, the Air Force Army Anti-Jam uh, Modem effort, um, uh, the Enhanced Weather System efforts, all very successful awards during calendar year 2020. Organizationally, we stood up the SpaceWorks uh, organization out here uh, past this past December. Uh, Dr. Roper approved that uh, as a new front door for space sector startups to 
uh, uh, join us here at SMC for uh, uh, what kind of opportunities there might exist for um, entrepreneurial companies to work with the Space Force. And then we took, uh, we expanded existing efforts. Many of you are familiar with the Space Enterprise Consortium or SPEC. Uh, we awarded a new management contract uh, for that effort. Uh, that includes a $12 billion ceiling and a 10-year period of performance. Uh, you'll all be happy to know that uh, just this past month in April, we uh, uh, welcomed the 500th member of that consortium uh, meant to accelerate and award uh, rapid prototyping contracts. We're very happy with that. Um, we've seen really incredible growth in the space commercial sector. Uh, that we need to take full advantage of. I hope I get to talk a little bit about that today. Um, uh, I think we need to go bigger and bolder on incorporating commercial space um, uh, capabilities into the service. Um, we also saw, you know, kind of on the downside, uh, increased development and testing of uh, counter space systems by our adversaries, China and Russia. Uh, to compete in the space domain for the next decade, we really have to continue to refine our programs and uh, our architectures in ways that allow us to uh, both rapidly and efficiently partner with these new space startups and even some of our international allies. So I guess in terms of the last year, um, our adversaries didn't slow down and really neither did we. Uh, we have another big year underway here in uh, 2020. And as we start to uh, get close to the second part of the year, my shout out uh, to the uh, NROL 82 crowd uh, for their uh, uh, successful uh, uh, launch just a few weeks ago. Um, that's, a, as all of you know, a, a really important collaboration between uh, the National Reconnaissance Office and the uh, Space and Missile Systems Center. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we have uh, five more national security space launches on the docket for this year, including SIBRS uh, GO5, which uh, uh, is slated for next week, another GPS satellite later this summer, and multiple uh, prototyping payloads uh, later this year. Um, it's not just launch, as I said before, but we've got a number of different uh, uh, crucial programmatic milestones in some of our uh, uh, major defense programs. Uh, and we have some really cool stone, uh, stuff going on with our international allies, like uh, uh, the QZSS hosted payload program, which I hope to talk about later uh, with our ally in Japan. Uh, we've got the Space Systems Command uh, coming along. That's a really lengthy topic, and um, I know that uh, I know that there's a lot of people in the audience interested in that. So I'm sure I'll get a question on that. So I'll uh, cover any details on that. But uh, getting that um, uh, Space Systems Command stood up sometime this summer, uh, once a commander is nominated and confirmed, I think is a uh, a really important milestone and and really bodes well for the future of space acquisition within the U.S. Space Force um, uh, by uh, um, uh, continuing to collaborate with space acquisition organizations and uh, bring them closer into the, the architectural uh, uh, collaborations that we have. I think that those partnerships will continue to pay uh, huge dividends, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to speak about that and anything else you'd like to talk about today, Dave. So. That's really all I have. Uh, back to you, and let's get going on Q and A. Yeah, look, uh, JT, thanks very much for that uh, context, and it's very clear from uh, your opening remarks that uh, COVID certainly didn't uh, slow you or your team down. Uh, and uh, congrats on all the great work that uh, you and your team are doing uh, in the space domain. So, as you suggest, let's dig a little bit deeper into some of those topics that you raised. Uh, Following the unveiling of uh, the idea of the Space Systems Command structure or organization last month, um, some have questioned just what makes SSC different from SMC 2.0 and how these changes uh, help accelerate space acquisition. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about uh, ways this new organization uh, might help space go faster? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Dave. Uh, yeah, you know, the Space Systems Command, and this was all part of the rollout, really builds on the clean sheet approach that we took uh, uh, to the SMC 2.0 re-architecture or reorganization of the Space and Missile Systems Center. Um, I think most of the people in the audience are tracking that that effort 
started in early 2018, and we didn't declare ourselves fully operationally capable until, frankly, just before the pandemic at the end of uh, November of 19 is when we went uh, uh, FOC with uh, the 2.0 re-architecture. Just as a reminder, and I'm not going to belabor this, but you know, we flattened SMC, we established uh, three new program executive officers to get uh, decision-making authorities closer to our programs. Uh, we eliminated three levels of staffing and we collapsed 20 different organizations down into six as part of 2.0. Uh, we realigned our uh, major acquisition portfolios uh, by stages of a program's life cycle. Um, as opposed to the program's mission area. And we did that to help break down the stovepipes and foster communication and collaboration between uh, programs in similar stages of development. We also created a portfolio architect office to help us develop a unified technical architecture across mission areas and integrate efforts between those mission areas. Um, as we stand up the Space Systems Command, uh, uh, you should be tracking that we're uh, planning to bring both the 30th and 45th Space Launch Deltas under the new Space Systems Command to better synchronize across the entire uh, launch enterprise. Um, as we uh, uh, build out the structure of that new command, um, uh, we're utilizing uh, new tools and processes, different authorities to enable uh, better communication and faster execution across the enterprise. Uh, something that maybe not a whole lot of people are tracking is last year, uh, the service acquisition executive did delegate to us uh, something called HCA or head of contracting authority uh, for the US Space Force. That was delegated to Ms. Joy White, who's here as uh, my executive director. Um, that HCA authority, having that at this level has literally shaved weeks off of coordination and approval timelines for some of our major contractual efforts. Uh, we were able to remove an entire layer of staffing coordination requirements. Um, and in only a few months, we've already seen that the delegation of this HCA is paying big dividends. Uh, Ms. White's deep understanding of the space mission um, really is enabling coordination for multiple projects um, in less than a day. So it's really a uh, a cool feature that uh, we're taking advantage of. Our uh, West Coast software factory, Kobayashi Maru teams, uh, they've completely overhauled uh, how we develop and acquire software applications. Uh, just as one example of the type of work they're doing, I'll, I'll uh, mention the, the JSPOC mission system, JSPOC or JMS uh, uh, replacement program, which we call Space C2. Uh, many people are familiar that JMS was a 10 year uh, waterfall, waterfall style program management uh, uh, software program that cost nearly a billion dollars and really didn't deliver on its promises. Um, uh, we incurred some really major operational risks and we made the decision uh, to cancel it and start again using the Space C2 effort and agile software development approaches. Uh, that team's been able to rapidly deliver new capabilities with really unprecedented levels of input from space operators. And so since the 2019 timeframe, uh, Space C2 has delivered eight operationally accepted applications to our operators with an average development time of 132 days. So, um, uh, you know, not, not 10 years, but 132 days to new incrementally delivered capability. We're also working digital engineering. I know everybody's been hearing a lot about that and the ecosystem that we're setting up. Um, new forms of information sharing and collaboration, not just across the center, uh, but with our external partners like the uh, Space Warfighting Analysis Center, uh, some of the other acquisition portfolios. We really feel like we're going to be able to uh, um, link threat and system models, perform high uh, fidelity uh, digital test and evaluation, facilitate secure collaboration with industry and agencies outside of the DOD. It's, uh, it's a really remarkable uh, capability that we're trying to build. Uh, and we currently have three different pathfinders uh, leading the way on digital engineering practices here at SMC, the protected uh, anti-jam uh, tactical satellite, the evolved strategic satellite system, and something that we're calling combat bus. Um, 
I, I talk a lot about uh, the Space Enterprise Consortium, and, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think it's really important to highlight as we talk about moving into faster ways of doing business, that the Space Enterprise Consortium was started less than four years ago with a $100 million ceiling on that contract um, and a five-year period of performance. And less than four years later, we now have um, a revised space, uh, space enterprise consortium uh, contractual vehicle that has a ceiling of $12 billion and a 10-year period of performance. We already have 500 members, 70% of which are non-traditional vendors like startups and small businesses, academic institutions. Um, in FY21 alone, as we uh, go through this year, we're currently pursuing 11 different rapid prototyping efforts worth about one and a half billion dollars uh, to address challenges through spec on things like missile warning tracking systems, uh, collecting real-time debris and meteorite data, uh, software efforts, communications efforts. And so this space enterprise consortium where you're able to get on contract with a non-traditional vendor, a commercial organization in less than 90 days um, is still gaining momentum um, and opening new paths to engage with those non-traditional uh, companies and commercial organizations. We're really excited about this vehicle. And by the way, that's not just for Space and Missile Systems Center, that's for all of our DOD space acquisition partners. Um, we're really fully cognizant that the threat posed by the actions of uh, countries like Russia and China um, uh, bear our watching and the need to accelerate our programs and take full advantage of the booming commercial space, space sector is really paramount. Um, the Space Systems Command gives us the right organizational structure to go fast, uh, facilitate better outreach with industry, exercise new acquisition authorities, and continuing to build a culture of rapid innovation. Um, that's why we went with the structure the way we did um, and I am sure that we will incrementally improve it uh, over the years to come. Wow, um, well, that's a extraordinarily uh, impressive. Uh, staying a little bit on that same topic, but expanding the, the subject space, uh, Space Systems Command is intended to bring unity of effort in the development and acquisition of space capabilities for warfighters. So that said, uh, as you're well, well aware, DOD has many entities uh, that conduct space R&D and establish requirements for space acquisition. Um, in addition to the Space Force and the new Space Systems Command, there are also the other services, the NRO, DARPA, SDA, and so on and so forth. So with all these organizations operating in the same domain, how are you helping industry understand emerging warfighter requirements and the overall trajectory of national security space programs? Yeah, Dave, so that's, uh, that's really the crux is it? I love the, the concept of unity of effort, um, uh, but you know, sometimes it sounds a little bit too uh, academic. I like how the CSO General Raymond refers to it as making sure everybody's rowing in the same direction. So uh, as you know, and many of our industry partners know, we've always had um, a very deep and incredibly successful bilateral partnerships with many of the organizations that, uh, that you mentioned there. Um, now we're working uh, to have multi-level or multilateral um, uh, partnerships with all of them at the same time. And one great way that we're trying to do that um, is the Program Integration Council or the PIC. Um, other uh, vehicles that we're using to try and get after that more um, uh, robust and resilient um, uh, multilateral work together is the Space Force Acquisition Council and the Space Warfighting Analysis Center that I mentioned earlier, the SWAC. Um, and all of those efforts together are really moving us all in the same direction and working together. Uh, the PIC itself, the Program Integration Council, bring, brings together uh, leadership, uh, acquisition leadership from the NRO, Space Development Agency, the Space RCO, the DAF RCO, uh, Missile Defense Agency, and that we also have uh, uh, user representatives on the PIC 
um, that are represented by the Space Operations Command. Um, and we use that pick to evaluate major program efforts, uh, synchronize resources, um, really across the spectrum of our national security space plans and programs. It gives us a forum to address issues that we're all facing, uh, develop strategies in tandem, which really directly helps our partners in industry understand who's doing what and who's focusing on which pieces of the larger picture or larger portions of the architecture. Um, if you want to see a microcosm of what this uh, collaboration really looks like, just, you know, frankly, just take a look at my schedule this week. Um, we have a monthly program integration council uh, scheduled for um, uh, tomorrow uh, on the agenda, although I can't give you some of the specifics because some of the stuff we're talking about tomorrow is classified, but we'll be reviewing a joint uh, program, getting a status update on a joint program uh, for the whole team that, uh, that ourselves and uh, the National Reconnaissance Office are working together. Uh, we're gonna go through uh, a number of different uh, digital engineering examples uh, and some of the mission partner uh, digital engineering efforts. We've invited uh, Space Force Headquarters, the CTIO office, Major General Krim Kreider to join us for tomorrow to talk about that. Um, we have some important uh, classified joint testing uh, kinds of capabilities to talk about uh, and a number of other things. It's just a, a, um, a great forum to address those things. But in addition to the PIC, um, I've had separate uh, meetings uh, uh, this week, uh, uh, partnership discussions with the Missile Defense Agency on something that we're working with them, the Space Operations Command, uh, Lieutenant General Bassett from uh, DCMA will be here this afternoon to talk about a few things with me. Um, and then on Friday, I've got a, a deep dive on one of our uh, Air Force Research Lab Vanguard programs uh, uh, for resilient PNT. It's called the NTS-3 program. Um, uh, we also, as a PIC, uh, provide regular support uh, to the Space Acquisition Council. As you know, that's chaired by the Acting Service Acquisition Executive, Darlene Costello, uh, participants, uh, statutory participants in that forum, uh, the director of the NRO, uh, SAF SP, the uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space Policy, the CSO and the commander of US Spacecom. Uh, and that forum is really overseeing, directing and managing um, acquisition and integration of the DAF space systems uh, to ensure integration across the national security space enterprise. They've been focused on high priority efforts like evaluating space architectures against threats. Um, they've been helping us with the implementation of digital engineering across the enterprise, uh, giving us access to um, other services and other partners who are doing digital engineering uh, in a big way. Um, and they're helping to push authorities down to the right level, typically the PEO level in our, uh, in our acquisition organizations. Um, uh, the other organization I mentioned earlier that I think is important to footstomp uh, from this unity of effort perspective is the SWAC. Um, that's a leading edge capability that um, uh, General Raymond is uh, using as a centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of his capability development framework. Um, they're responsible for force design in the Space Force for the service. Um, and that's really the ar operational architecture um, SMC and, uh, you know, soon to be the Space Systems Command leads the architecting and systems of systems engineering for the, for the technical architecture um, and ensuring that the things are allocated properly against specific programs of record. Uh, we're working closely with Andrew Cox and the SWAC to develop a process where SWAC, the Space Systems Command, the Space Operations Command, working with uh, Headquarters U.S. Space Force, can collaborate and define um, architectures that really meet joint warfighting requirements. And um, uh, I'm sure that at some point, the Mitchell Institute will wanna have Andrew Cox by to, to talk about SWAC in great detail. Um, regarding uh, direct communication to industry that you mentioned there a minute ago, Dave, I, I'll just highlight that we stood up the SpaceWorks uh, organization out here in LA to uh, better facilitate communication with startups and integration of commercial technologies. And as I've mentioned before, uh, we have successfully used the, the Space Enterprise Consortium uh, to dialogue with the now over 500 members about specific needs and challenges we're facing. Um, a great example of uh, industry outreach coming up later this year is 
as I think many of our uh, uh, commercial SATCOM providers are tracking, uh, where the service is putting its finishing touches on an enterprise SATCOM strategy. Um, and uh, we're going to do that to provide some clarity to our partners, both in government and the commercial sector, and frankly, to our international partners about um, our vision for the future of SATCOM, how we're going to get after uh, what General Raymond refers to as fighting SATCOM. Uh, that strategy should be completed later this summer, and we're looking to host an industry forum uh, to provide a venue for our partners to share their thoughts on the strategy, as well as discuss their latest capabilities and future plans. So uh, you can think of that as something like a, you know, a, a teaming group where we're talking to all of the commercial SATCOM providers and then an opportunity for one-on-ones afterwards. In addition to that Enterprise SATCOM Summit, we have multiple other forums and industry engagements coming up this summer. Um, we have our second Space Force Pitch Day scheduled for the August timeframe. Uh, we have a Cross-Mission Ground Summit. Uh, we have an annual uh, Space Industry Days event later in the fall. Uh, we'll have, uh, with our partners in FCA, we're uh, um, having a first ever Partnership Industry Day uh, that we think will be very important um, and we certainly uh, are open to any other suggestions from industry on how we get our message out, how we communicate what we want and when we want it, um, how we listen to our industry partners. Uh, we're in kind of a, um, a, a special time kind of coming out of the pandemic where we'd love to spend a little bit more face-to-face -face time or maybe mask-to-mask -mask is a better way to say it, uh, time uh, uh, and we're willing to devote some resources to figure out um, um, how to best interact with industry uh, even more than we already are and how they can make sure that uh, they know what we want and who they should talk to. Well, JT, I, hope that, that a, I hope that scratched the itch there for yeah, you. Yeah, well, you did a masterful job uh, regarding the question of integration of effort across these disparate organizations with a hand in space. Uh, and, uh, you know, I compliment you on uh, all the efforts that you've instituted in trying to bring everybody together. But I go back to Jay Raymond's, uh, uh, this sort of analogy that you used earlier, make sure all the boats are rowing in the same direction. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody was in the same boat? Uh, you know, ostensibly, that's why the Space Force, or one of the reasons why the Space Force was stood up. So, I, you know, I, I, I think that unless uh, in, in there's a much more aggressive action taken to consolidate some of those organizations underneath the Space Force, uh, you know, bureaucratic inertia is going to set in and it's going to be more and more difficult to do that. But be that as it may, congrats on doing the best with, uh, with what you got. Now, it was a wonderful segue, too, into what I wanted to ask you about commercial space, but you've done a pretty magnificent job in, in talking about that in working to expand uh, the acquisition of space services that are increasingly available in the commercial market. Uh, but is there anything else you wanna add in that effort? Uh, and uh, if not, or after so, I got a question for you about the Commercial Satellite Communications Office. Yeah, so let me, let me um, I think it's important to foot stomp uh, commercial space, um, just maybe a little bit more. Um, as I think everybody's tracking the there's just a really an incredible amount of work and investment happening right now in the commercial space sector. Um, and it's uh, really crucial that we figure out how to successfully integrate commercial data and services into our architects, uh, architectures and uh, uh, concepts of operation. Uh, as I mentioned previously, we need to go bigger and bolder here um, in that using of commercial data and capabilities in order to go faster. I think it's, essential to peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer competition that we leverage um, the commercial space sector. Um, so we are, as uh, I think everybody's following our architectural work in the service, really pivoting away from stovepipe systems and moving more towards uh, what I would call enterprise-based solutions that uh, utilize a mix of US government, allied and commercial capabilities. Um, I'm really proud of what we've done so far uh, but uh, uh, for those that are, um, you know, uh, uh, beating the, their shoe on a table uh, about needing to do more, I absolutely agree with them that we've got to be able to 
make this transition as seamlessly as possible and as quickly as possible. Um, the commercial satellite office that you mentioned earlier, commercial satellite communications office led by Claire Grayson, uh, they're really doing an incredible job in the SATCOM area procuring uh, commercial satellite support uh, services um, uh, for the entire DOD. They're actually doing it for other federal organizations and even our international partners. Uh, just to give you a sense of the scope that they're operating at, uh, they're uh, projected to spend uh, a little over $800 million in FY22 on commercial SATCOM services, as well as some tactical ISR and PNT services. Uh, they've got a, a key RFP uh, that's coming out later this year that I know industry is uh, very excited about. Um, moving on to weather, um, uh, lots of uh, commercial weather monitoring resources are available to DOD today. So we're working with the operational communities uh, in both the Air Force, um, uh, the Space Force and other services uh, to really understand their needs in different operational situations and scenarios where they may need higher fidelity data than is currently available off the shelf. Uh, we have several studies uh, currently underway on that on those data needs and those studies are really being done at the strategic operational and the tactical level and SMC is really active participants with the tri-agency working group um, between DOD, NASA and NOAA uh, we have an open dialogue on weather needs across the U.S. government. I think there's plenty of potential uh, for additional additional uh, uh, commercial services in the weather area. Uh, space domain awareness is also a growing area, and if you want to extend that to space traffic management, you can. We're we're looking to purchase and utilize commercially available SDA data uh, to assist with a range of tasks, including characterization and threat processing. Um, uh, here at SMC, our unified data library, which, uh, uh, which we created, is really a fantastic example of technology that uh, facilitates the integration of commercial services into the SDA mission, uh, enabling data to uh, pass between commercial providers and operational users in uh, new and uh, expedient ways. Um, another benefit of uh, uh, of the UDL is the SDA marketplace, which I know many of folks in the audience have heard about, which allows us uh, to directly purchase and pay for commercial data and services flowed into the UDL and then leveraged for uh, military space operations. It's a, it's a marketplace model uh, where commercial vendors can offer their uh, digital wares for operators to uh, check out and select from. Um, Lots of commercial services, I think, will be part of joint all-domain command and control and ABMS efforts going into the future. Um, uh, we got to have those commercial services because it increases our options for both uh, persistence and resiliency. And then finally, you know, um, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, but commercial imagery from space isn't new. Uh, but what is new is the breadth of access and the reduced cost for those services. Uh, growth in uh, commercial launch providers has really uh, greatly reduced the cost to the access to space. And that's really opened up the skies to uh, many new providers with both uh, EO, IR, uh, and synthetic aperture radar imagery in the commercial sector that um, our military and intelligence professionals can use. Um, they've got a lot of different requirements for accuracy, resolution, and timeliness. Uh, so integrating commercial ISR assets into the space portfolio uh, reduces the burden on some of those purpose-built Intel space systems that we know so well from ourselves and our partners um, and really, uh, you know, gets answers into the hands of warfighters in tactically relevant timelines. Um, I guess uh, the only other thing I'd say is the commercial market is commercial markets really keenly aware, I think, of those opportunities in this domain. And they're presenting technologies to uh, many of us, um, such as rapid downlinks, uh, onboard processing, uh, tipping and queuing, imagery as a service. Um, it really drives a, par a paradigm shift in speed, access, and relevance of data uh, in the tactical battle space. Uh, as a, as a, a, a further example of that kind of com more commercial work that we're doing, I, I'll just highlight that um, over the past three years, 
um, uh, uh, initially under the leadership of Dr. Will Roper and, and continuing to today, we've really championed the innovative use of small business innovative research uh, phase two and phase three programs to help facilitate rapid uh, prototyping and procurement. And so we've awarded uh, more than $250 million to small businesses at, at, for phase three efforts uh, in, 2020, in 2020. And that was a thousand percent increase from what we did in 2019. So we're getting after commercial capabilities that we can transition into the defense sector um, and uh, help those commercial entities lower their barrier of barriers to entry uh, by using vehicles like spec and space pitch days, uh, investing more, and then helping them through getting them all the way to phase three Sibbers, helping them kind of cross that valley of death, if you will, uh, into new programs of record. Um, so uh, integrating commercial capabilities and services just isn't an acquisition problem. Um, uh, there are some challenges here and I'll just foot stomp that, you know, given the way that we do the PPBE process and how we do budgeting in the department, how we build our requirements and we do all of those things on multi-year timelines, uh, we really need to consider new pathways to rapidly transition to new business models and get after some of these commercial capabilities so that we can get them uh, to the warfighters sooner rather than later. It's a it's a dilemma. It's not an acquisition reform problem. It's not an acquisition problem. It's a whole of the department problem uh, to try and access these commercial things on relevant timelines. It, uh, we have a lot of engagements with industry. Uh, they have a ton of sharp folks who love to experiment uh, and they want to get after new ways to integrate uh, commercial capabilities and capacities into our architecture. But under the current defense procurement, PPBE and requirements models, uh, we don't have as much flexibility as we should with money or requirements to pursue some of those projects. So uh, that dialogue is gonna continue, but I think what you'll also see from uh, the Space Force in coming months is, hey, here's some help that we need in order to be able to get after some of these commercial capabilities. We have lots of great ideas walking in our door, but we don't have necessarily a set aside pot of money and a requirement that addresses some of those good ideas. And I think it's uh, inherent upon the department if they want to get after more commercial to get after um, uh, some different pathways to do it. Yeah, I hope, not, I hope that addresses it. It's just not more commercial, it's the rapid piece. Yeah. And man, you're just so spot on. Um, I, I just have to tell you, as you're talking there about commercial, and you mentioned the point that, hey, Commercial imagery is not that new, but guess what? Commercial SIGINT is, and even commercial imagery that, you know, three years ago um, would have been uh, TSSCI is now available to anybody with a credit card and access to the internet. Yeah. Um, I would have given a year's pay as the planner for Desert Storm to have access to the commercial imagery that's available today. And then, you know, uh, 10 years later as the director of the Air and Space Operations Center and Operation Enduring Freedom. Yeah. I mean, the access that's available today is absolutely incredible. Uh, and, and so uh, thanks for that perspective uh, and trying to encourage the monolithic great center of institutional inertia that exists in the Department of Defense uh, because that's our biggest threat today. It's not China. It's the bureaucracy and DOD. Okay, with that, let's move overseas. So what do you see as the role of international partnership? Hey, hey Dave, Dave yeah. before we go on to the next question, let me just highlight, I probably should have also mentioned um, that as we transition Claire Grayson's organization, the Commercial SATCOM Communications Office over into the Space Systems Command, we're looking at re-rolling that organization um, I'd, I'd call it a midterm vision at this point into a commercial space solutions office so that we're not just focusing in on SATCOM, we're focusing in on all of those mis other mission areas like weather and tactical ISR. Um, uh, you know, we want to assess the commercial marketplace, take advantage of the speed of need, if you will, uh, um, aggregating buying power from across the department, leveraging a working capital fund. Uh, if we can do it, and then putting in place 
uh, capabilities to you know, rapidly form service level agreements with our customers. Uh, we think there's some really smart procurement things that we can do in that realm uh, and uh, um, expanding the scope of that office is one of those things that we're going to prioritize. And you're doing it in the right way. You're taking an effects-based approach to what the mission of that office ought to be. You're not zeroing down into telling them how to choke chickens you're giving them the objective and then letting them capitalize on what commercial industry provides. So my hat's off to you. We need uh, more folks to uh, pervade and break down the bureaucratic walls that exist inside the five-sided wind tunnel. Anyway, I digress. So back to uh, overseas, we, you've talked a uh, magnificent, given us great insight into what you're doing with the commercial opportunities. What do you see as the role of international partnerships in the future of space acquisition? Yeah, Dave, so just like commercial is exploding right now, I think allied partnerships or international partnerships are exploding as well in terms of a uh, untapped resource that we must take advantage of. Um, our partners today play a critical role in increasing our uh, resilience to and deterrence of, you know, hostile and unsafe activity in space. And they really help us cement strategic relationships around the world. Um, many of our friends and allies uh, around the world are uh, developing their own national uh, civil and military space programs. Um, and they're helping grow their own domestic commercial space sectors as well. Um, just as a, a small example of uh, some of the uh, uh, international work that we were able to do in 2020. Uh, you may have heard of International Space Pitch Day, which we ran in November, November with our uh, friends in the United Kingdom. Uh, we awarded uh, 10 small businesses uh, uh, from the UK, Australia, the US and India, uh, small efforts uh, to capitalize on innovations and some creative solutions that they presented at that pitch day. Um, this past March, just a couple of months ago, the winners of that uh, uh, International Space Pitch Day, I guess I should probably say the successful offerers, um, uh, showcase their progress uh, in some cutting edge areas like blockchain, uh, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Um, uh, we've really got a tremendous amount of interest uh, from other host countries around the world to participate in the next International Space Pitch Day in 2022. Um, uh, it's a it's a relatively small effort. It's relatively small dollars, but we're seeing huge impact from it. Right, um, uh, we're working a dedicated innovation MOU with a number of our partners to open the aperture more for different countries to engage with us in these and other kinds of innovation-focused efforts. Um, it's just really exciting on, on a bigger scale uh, beyond something as simple as an international space pitch day. Um, you may have read back in December, uh, General Raymond signed an MOU with Japan uh, to support the QZSS program to host a pair of uh, U.S. payloads on two uh, Japanese satellites. Uh, I'm really pleased to report from a results perspective that uh, we sent a team, SMC sent a team to uh, Japan in April, and they were able to conduct some very successful interface uh, verification testing uh, with our payloads and the uh, Japanese satellite simulators that keeps us on track uh, to deliver our payloads in uh, uh, calendar year 2022 for QZSS launches in 23 and 24. Um, in addition to uh, strengthening the orbital ties, if you will, between nations, uh, we've also been able to realize some big time cost savings with our allies uh, and some uh, 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 speeding up the process uh, in terms of delivering operational capability. We've been able to do that particularly in the SATCOM. Uh, just to give you one example, we have uh, seven allied partners, um, uh, Belgium and the United Kingdom most recently, uh, contributing a combined $440 million uh, to our WGS-11 program. Uh, that helps fund the cost of launch, resiliency efforts, sustainment, uh, upgrades to ground systems over the next few years. Um, and so when Congress gave us the funding to build more WGS satellites, we took an innovative approach and developed a solution that'll provide instead of two more um, 
uh, uh, build to print WGS satellites, we uh, uh, decided to build a single satellite with double the total operational capacity of previous WGS satellites. I won't go into all the details, but um, the WGS-11 uh, vehicle have advanced uh, digital beam forming, uh, greater bandwidth, and a massive increase in the number of channels that it's able to access. Um, and in large part, we were able to help pay for that with our international partners. Um, international partnership isn't new to WGS. I think everybody is familiar with uh, um, our partners uh, combined to over a billion dollars of, uh, of uh, support to procure WGS-6 and WGS-9. And so the WGS-11 program is really just continuing that tradition. Um, I won't go into details, but everybody should be tracking the enhanced polar system uh, recapitalization, which is our partnership with Space Norway uh, and the Norwegian Ministry of Defense uh, to host a couple of payloads on uh, two Norwegian polar uh, satellites for Arctic Com purposes. Uh, by partnering, we were able to save $900 million uh, because we weren't building free flyers and didn't have to launch our own free flying satellites. And we're getting operational capabilities to our warfighters years earlier than if we built our own satellites going forward. Here at SMC, for the last couple of years, we've had a foreign liaison officer from the United Kingdom. Uh, he, he's going to be replaced uh, this summer. We're getting a new one. We're also having an engineer and scientist exchange program. Um, a, a German officer join our team out here. Uh, we're having a consulate day later this year where all of the all of our partners, West Coast consulates here in Los Angeles and up in San Francisco are going to get together here uh, when we can go face to face. And we're going to discuss some more partnering opportunities and we're exploring uh, international partnership uh, in space acquisition partnerships with Colombia, Peru, Brazil, Chile, Argentina. It's just uh, uh, amazing. I, every time I hear General Raymond talking about the, um, the partnership efforts that we've been able to lead for the Space Force writ large, it's just really exciting. And, and you know, if the global space economy is going to grow as it's expected to, you know, uh, like $1.3 trillion by 2040, then we've got to be able to take advantage of these international partnerships over the next few years um, uh, to mutual advantage of ourselves and our allies. Uh, well, that's great, uh, JT. Um, I tell you what, I wanna leave some time for uh, our listeners. Uh, so let's wrap up this session and uh, JT, thanks again for your insightful comments. Uh, in sharing your really valuable perspectives in this uh, brave new Space Force venture. Um, you're gonna see more in this regard uh, from the new um, Mitchell Institute Space Power Advantage Research Center that's now under the direction of the Honorable Matt Donovan. So stay tuned. Now, as a, an alert to our listeners, our next Aerospace Nation event is uh, Tuesday, May 18th, when I'll be hosting uh, DARPA's Dr. Tim Grayson and Mitchell's own Heather Penny for the virtual release of our new report, Building an Agile Force, the Imperative for Speed and Adaptation in the U.S. Aerospace Industrial Base. So your comments, JT, uh, on needing to move uh, faster are very appropriate, and uh, we continue to, uh, to attempt to beat down the walls of change or resistance in that regard. So Dave, let's shift the Dave, thanks. Thanks for your efforts in that regard. And, and thanks. Uh, we're really looking forward to working with uh, uh, with the new space team, if you will, there at uh, uh, at AFA. We love you. We love you. Um, but uh, uh, we also uh, um, uh, are very interested in uh, uh, interacting with the Mitchell Institute and some of the new players that you have in town there uh, uh, going forward. Uh, we're very excited by it. So thank you. You bet. We brought on some uh, space professionals and look forward to expanding our efforts in that regard. So right now we're going to open this session to questions from the audience who've been listening to the conversation. And uh, let's jump right in here. When I call on you, please announce who you are in your organization. Of course, um, no uh, introduction is necessary for Sandra Irwin. So let's go to Sandra first. Hi, um, General Thompson, good morning, and thank you for uh, this overview today. Uh, so I wanted to pick up on the use of tactical ISR, which um, 
which you mentioned is one of the initiatives. Um, General Raymond was on a talk this morning with the, the Jim McAleese um, organization, and he said to be on the lookout for a um, GMTI program. Uh, can you give us anything on, you know, is this SMC doing this? Uh, is this a new program? What, what, what are we going to see as far as GMTI? Thank you. Hey, so Sandra, I would uh, love to provide you a complete detail and talk to you more about that, but um, I don't like getting out in front of the chief. Uh, so if uh, General Raymond said, be on the lookout, then I'm gonna uh, stay on the same, uh, uh, stay on the same uh, 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 message and say, be on the lookout for it, it's coming. And I think uh, uh, when you see it, um, uh, you will be, um, well, it, it gets after a number of things that we've been talking about uh, today, including uh, some things that we haven't talked about today, like uh, uh, being able to de declassify things and talk about uh, efforts that are already underway. Uh, with respect to our commercial solutions office um, uh, and that idea uh, or that uh, you know eventual new rolled organization, uh, they'll be primarily focused in on uh, procuring services for, um, uh, for the DOD, combatant commanders, other agencies that need space capabilities. Uh, I'm pretty sure the GMTI kind of stuff that General Raymond was talking about is more of a purpose-built system, and uh, we look forward to sharing the details with you in the future. So, so can we say for, for sure that tactical ISR is going to be, is available commercially and you believe that you can get some type of capability commercially right now? Yeah, so we know that there are many small businesses, commercial enterprises, uh, startups, entrepreneurial ventures, uh, including some, some uh, uh, small businesses or medium-sized businesses that already have that kind of capability. Uh, and we're confident that we can procure uh, just like some of our mission partners have, uh, that data from a, in a commercial way. Um, the, the challenge is, as I mentioned earlier, is creating the funding streams, identifying the requirements. You know, as you, as you, as you begin to um, um, uh, build in uh, commercial solutions, uh, uh, services, for, for lack of a better way to say it right now, uh, into the enterprise, you have to um, uh, you want to be able to leverage commercial investments, technology, kind of the know-how of the engineering teams in the commercial sector, any goods that they have and things like that. Uh, but you also have to uh, avoid creating critical dependencies with commercial services that may or may not be there uh, when, for instance, you enter a phase of conflict uh, that uh, uh, commercial services just can't uh, uh, can't support. Um, uh, you don't want to introduce, I guess a, a good way to say it is unnecessary operational risk. Um, what I think our responsibility here is from a commercial solution standpoint is kind of develop the, the soup to nuts ways of uh, the different business models associated with how you access those commercial services. So what are the contractual agreements? Everything from you know, FAR Part 15 contracting all the way to uh, service level agreements, uh, craft-like relationships and things like that. Uh, I think the, the, the key here is what's the requirement? How do we build the business deal? And then how do we fund it so that we can integrate services better into our architecture, uh, but not make it a, uh, um, a single node failure point for some critical element of the architecture. Does that make sense? Yeah, great, thank you so much. Okay, let's turn to uh, Courtney Albin. Hi, yes, uh, thanks General for taking the time today, I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask about um, progress that uh, SMC is making on um, developing requirements and moving forward with a, a national space test and training range. Um, I know there's a five-year plan in place, but I was wondering if you could give us any more uh, kind of details on near-term milestones. And then I, just to tack on to that, um, you know, for the last couple of years, DOT&E has recommended that um, there be just a, a greater investment in space test infrastructure 
in a range like this. Um, are we going to see that in FY22? I, I know you can't go into detail, but when are we going to see um, kind of greater uh, financial investment in that? Yeah, so Courtney, that's a great question. Uh, we have been working very closely with uh, Space Force staff, um, uh, the, the, uh, um, the Space Force test and evaluation team uh, over the last couple of years on a number of different elements of uh, space test. Um, you know, who's going to have uh, operational test authority, who's going to have developmental test authority, um, how are we going to uh, put together the, um, the, the test team uh, within the U.S. Space Force? Um, uh, are we going to take a kind of a serial approach? Or are we going to do more of a combined DTOT approach, which, by the way, uh, that's uh, exactly what we're going to try and do. We're calling it integrated test um, uh, which is a portion DT and a portion OT. But underlying all of that, how are we going to uh, test new systems uh, so that they can be fielded and then incrementally approved over their life cycle is this uh, national space test and training range. Uh, we absolutely uh, have to get after that. Uh, and it's gonna be a shared responsibility um, across the Space Force between the Space Operations Command uh, the eventual STARCOM and the Space Systems Command. Um, what we're going to do in Space Systems Command is establish a program office for that national space uh, test and training range. Um, and then we're going to get after, uh, you know, building the capabilities that we need to be able to adequately test <clears throat> from both a DT and an OT perspective our uh, space systems that will field uh, over the next decade. So I, I can't really give you the gory details of what's in the, uh, the 22 budget, but I can guarantee you that uh, between myself and other senior leaders in the Space Force, we have prioritized that training, that range, uh, and we will get after it uh, uh, just exactly as the DOT and E folks have recommended. Okay, here are a couple, uh, uh, JT from, uh... Uh, the, the chat dialogue, uh, this one's from John Bennett. Uh, first, thanks for your leadership at SMC and your outreach to industry. As you may recall, the Appropriations Committee introduced a commercial SATCOM program element and provided $43 million in 21. Could you help us understand the Space Force and Air Force position in FY22 and beyond, especially in light of pathfinders and pilots your team has led like FMI, EMNC, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, so that program element is very important to us. Um, and um, uh, in partnership with Claire Grayson and the Commercial Satellite Communications Office uh, and the portfolio architect here at SMC, which we'll call the Space Systems Architect uh, uh, when we form up the Space Systems Command, uh, we're planning to take advantage, continuing to take advantage of pathfinders, pilots, and different ways to try and integrate what General Raymond refers to as his fighting SATCOM uh, strategy. Uh, when we roll out our enterprise SATCOM strategy uh, uh, later this summer, uh, you will see details of how we plan uh, to do that kind of work. Maybe not specifically by company, by feature, by capability, but how we plan to uh, roll out uh, um, new capabilities, test, experiment, demonstrate those capabilities over time. Okay, um, quick one from uh, Robert Montague. Man, Robert, I'm sorry if I messed up your last name, but uh, JT, great point on the access to commercial and allied ISR. Will the Title X authorities be allowed to get this ISR data in a timely fashion moving forward to the, to the folks who need it? Yeah, that's a, that's Robert, that's a fantastic question um, and something that we're definitely gonna have to prioritize. Um, I hope that we will be able to do that. Um, and uh, I know that um, um, uh, Major General Leah Lauterbach, our uh, Space Force S2 uh, is also very concerned about that and, and working those issues uh, as, we, uh, as we go. Um, we know that other uh, entities within the 
U.S. government are able to access those kinds of things. And I think under Title 10, uh, we should be able to access those things as well um, and uh, provide that kind of service to combatant commanders. But we definitely need to make sure that we're deconflicted with uh, what other portions of the government are doing. Yeah, no, thanks very much for that, JT. And I'll just say, if they don't, the planners are just going to whip out their credit cards, grab their personal laptops, and get the data themselves. Uh, so we've come to the end of this uh, Space Power Forum. Uh, a big thanks again to General JT Thompson, uh, to you, JT, and to our audience uh, from all of us here at the Mitchell Institute and the uh, Space Power Advantage uh, Research Center. Have a great aerospace power kind of day. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everybody, and uh, uh, have a great rest of your week out here. See you.